Welcome. Welcome in to Sports Talk Chicago. All gas, no brakes. If you're looking for the same old sports talk, get out. You've come to the wrong place. Hey, we ain't come this far just to come this far, you hear me? I tell you what I see, I tell you the truth. We going hard today. We're fearless, bold, and highly opinionated. This here show. This show is so hot right now. The biggest guests, the hottest takes, and the best interviews live right here. Do you actually remind me of Dan Patrick? Because you ask great questions, you have the knack, you have the gift. On Sports Talk Chicago. Yo, Chicago. Here's your host. The guy's an absolute stud. John Zagul. Wait, is ESPN right again? Sports Talk Chicago here for John Zaglou. Appreciate all of you tuning in. Subscribe to the channel for more Chicago Bears and Chicago sports content. Follow us all over Sports Talk Chicago. Hit up our sponsor, Amish Country Farms in Orland Park. Link in the description of this video. We have lambasted and killed ESPN a number of times for their dumb and idiotic takes, but I have to say they've been on a good streak as of late. Talked about them a few weeks ago in regards to the Bears potentially winning the NFC North. A couple of hosts on air on one of their primetime shows said that the Bears are the favorite to win the North, which I think might be a little bit too ambitious, but nevertheless, it's a far cry from where they were last year in regards to the Bears and the media narrative surrounding them. Now, according to multiple ESPN contributors, came out on Saturday and said this, Roshan Johnson is a rookie, according to them, who is flying under the radar and could have a breakout season. I love seeing this article. Here's a quote from the article, quote, You might not expect fourth-round draft picks to have a major impact, but Johnson could be this year's Damian Pierce as a day-three selection who ultimately leads his team in rushing. Johnson was the backup to B. John Robinson in Texas, so he didn't get a ton of carries, but he's a three-down back with power at 6'2", 223. He's also a fantastic pass catcher and blocker in the backfield in a crowded Chicago running back room. Johnson may not be the week one starter, but he could easily be getting the most carries by midseason. I guess ESPN must be watching this program because we've been saying that since May. We've been saying that since the day Roshan Johnson was drafted. He will not be starting week one. But by midseason, he will be the primary running back for the Bears. They actually surmised it so perfectly. I mean, it's exactly what we've been saying almost to a T. The Bears obviously have a crowded backfield, and they've paid money to certain guys that they're going to be indebted to in the beginning, like Deontay Foreman, who kind of came in. Khalil Herbert's still on this team. Justin Fields is going to be running the football, too. And now, of course, Roshan Johnson is a rookie. There are going to be a lot of guys competing for minimal carries, limited carries early on for the Bears, and it's going to come down to who shows out the most and who is proven to be a great full-dimensional running back, that's who's going to get most opportunities later this season. The article put it perfectly. Roshan Johnson is not just a running back. He can block, he can catch, and of course, he can run. And for the Bears, as the season moves forward, they're going to need somebody who can do everything. That was one of the main knocks with somebody like Khalil Herbert. That's why they drafted a running back. You can never have too many, in my opinion, but still. Lil Herbert, great runner. He could average five, almost six yards per carry if you let him. But he can't block and he can't really catch. Really can't do anything else but run, weave through holes, and gain yards. And that's not a knock on Herbert, but Roshan Johnson is younger, went to a big school, and knows what's expected of him. But more than that, he's a three-dimensional running back. 
He could block, he can catch, and he could run. He will not be the RB1 against the Packers on Sunday. I can tell you that right now. He might get maybe 5, 10 carries if he's lucky. I feel like it's going to be Khalil Herbert and Deontay Foreman leading the charge. And maybe deservedly so. They're they're older, they're veterans, they've been around the NFL a lot longer. Deontay Foreman almost had 1,000 yards last year in limited time with Carolina. I understand the thought process, but I think by midseason, it's fair to say Roshan Johnson should be the RB1 on this team. And ESPN and multiple ESPN insiders agree, surprisingly. Here's what it says further in this article, that Johnson entered the organization as potentially the third string running back behind Deontay Foreman and Khalil Herbert. Herbert is presumed to be the starter heading into week one. Foreman looked like a value signing, but Roshan Johnson is here to stay. And Roshan Johnson is young. He is a running back drafted in the late rounds. There's a lot to prove. I think this situation is poised for success. And I just love seeing these articles because it just corroborates, again, what we've been saying for months and what a lot of Bears fans have been saying for months. There's a lot of reasons to be excited about Roshan Johnson. That's the point. It was unfortunate to see the Bears let David Montgomery go in the passion they did, especially knowing he only signed for two years $10 million with Detroit. Would have been nice to see Montgomery back and then Herbert and Johnson. I would have been much more excited with that backfield. Nevertheless, they have quality guys at running back this year, no matter what. Running is actually going to be their strength, in my opinion, still. I mean, you still have Justin Fields. You still got Khalil Herbert. You brought in Foreman. Now you have Roshan Johnson. They're going to be competing fiercely for limited carries, and that's a great problem to have. But I really think Roshan Johnson, if he just does what he's supposed to do, does what he's known to do, he will stand out and he will be RB1 come week eight. And I love the comparison to Damian Pierce. Damian Pierce kind of came in. Nobody really knew what, he, what, what, what was expected of him. Went to the Texans, almost rushed for 1,000 yards last year as a rookie. And probably would have gotten there had he had more opportunities and more carries early on in the season. And the Texans have historically actually struggled with running the football the past 5, 10 years. They've always latched on to one-year running backs who've just been too old. Last for a year or two, then they go. Seems like Pierce... Now entering his second year, young guy, there to stay, and is probably going to rush for, I would assume, minimum 1,100 yards. Roshan Johnson, if he gets these opportunities this year, it could prove by week 8, 9, 10 that he could be the RB1. We could see him really break out next year when he enters camp and enters the season, the presumed RB1. Right now, even in this article, it says Khalil Herbert, and I would agree. Herbert's been on the team the longest. He could still produce, just can't do much else besides run. Deontay Foreman was brought in, and there was nothing promised him other than opportunities. And Roshan Johnson's a late-round pick, so I get that. Day three selection. They don't owe Roshan anything. Therefore, he's not going to get tons of opportunities in the first couple of weeks. That's just how it goes. It's unfortunate, but that's the truth and the fact of the matter. That said, making the most of what he's given is what's going to propel him to become RB1. People are coming early to the party because they know what's going to happen. 
And that's what excites me about an article like this and other articles that have been written like this since May when the draft occurred. To the Bears' credit, whether it's Ryan Poles, Ryan Pace, Jerry Angelo, Phil Embry, for some reason when it comes to late-round diamonds in the rough, especially running backs, wide receivers, cornerbacks, they do a great job drafting. Their scouting department's actually exceptional when it comes to day three picks and later. If only they could get day one picks good, this Bears team would be winning four or five Super Bowls by now. (laughs) They'd be really amazing. They always find ways to just grab these diamonds in the rough, these players who have a lot to show, a lot more to show than people expect late late in the draft. David Montgomery, good example, second rounder. Darnell Moody, fifth round pick. And I think Roshan Johnson's going to be on that path again. I really think he's going to be the real deal for this team. And according to this article from ESPN, the contributors compiled a collection of rookies who are still flying under the radar with the start of the NFL season just days away. The second player named on that list was Roshan Johnson. So Roshan was right near the top. Everybody is starting to realize, hey, he's going to get opportunities here in Chicago. The fact that national ESPN insiders are even acknowledging his name is frankly unbelievable. I can't believe they even are in tune enough to know who he is. I guess credit to them for doing some research this time around. Point being, he's on everybody's radar. I'm sure he's on people's radar from a fantasy perspective. I can only imagine many people, oh, i got to grab him, stash him on my team, but more than anything, he's on everyone's radar for the contributions that he could bring to this team right away, Week one, but certainly by week eight, being the primary guy. That's just exciting to see. The Bears have never been in need of a running back. I mean, they've always had good ones back to Walter Payton, but even after. Think about the Bears in the past 10, 15 years. You know, Thomas Jones, Cedric Benson to an extent, Matt Forte, of course, David Montgomery, Jordan Howard, Khalil Herbert, Tariq Cohen, the Bears have always had talent at running back. They've never been in a specific need for it. Just like this year, there's no need for it. But once again, they know how to develop running backs. They know when somebody's kind of on their way out, they already have somebody in the wings ready to take over. And in my opinion, and this is no knock on him, but Khalil Herbert is going to be on his way out. As much as I love watching him, as much as I love his electricity and his ability to weave through defenses and gain five, six yards per carry, the NFL is different than it was 20, 30 years ago. He can't block, and he can't catch the football. Khalil Herbert's days are numbered in Chicago. And I'm going to say that right now. It might be unpopular, but I firmly believe it. I would not give Herbert a contract extension, even now. Unless somehow, some way, he improves his blocking and his pass catching so much and then gains 1,000-plus yards running, then I could see it. But I don't think that's going to happen with the amount of carries that are going to be there and then the amount of players trying to get those carries. So Khalil Herbert's going to be out the door sooner rather than later. Will it be next year, the year after? I don't know, but it's going to happen. And at that point, the Bears are going to need to find a new primary running back. Deontay Foreman, frankly, is just too old. Foreman's been around the game for a while. He's in his late 20s. By the time his contract's up, even if he lives out the rest of his contract, he might be 30 years old. The writing's on the wall for both of these guys, and the writing's on the wall also for Roshan Johnson to ascend and become the RB1. It's going to happen. 
other people like it or not. And then in four or five years, when Roshan's about to get paid, the Bears are going to screw him, and they're going to draft a new running back because that's how it goes in the NFL. No running backs ever get paid. And that's just the way it is. But I would expect Roshan Johnson to hold down this position for the next four to five years minimum as long as things don't go horribly wrong. And we're going to start seeing it this year. Week one, but especially by weeks eight, nine, or ten. So just keep all that in mind, too. Whether you like him or not, you're going to have to learn to like him. Because <laughs> I guarantee you he's going to be around, and he's certainly going to be on this team longer than Herbert's and Foreman will be. Herbert and Foreman will not be on this team anymore, and Roshan will still be here in three years. It's just a fact. It's a fact of the lifespan of a running back and the way the NFL works. I mean, Foreman only signed a one-year contract worth $2 million, and half of that's guaranteed. So, I mean, the Bears could pay him his $1 million, then cut him theoretically if they wanted to. I'm not saying they're going to do it, but Foreman's contract was nothing significant. And it is a value signing. I mean, Foreman did a great job. Foreman last year uh, did a lot in the limited time he got. So, I mean, I'm happy for him getting paid a little bit of money, but he's not the long-term answer. Herbert averaged 5.7 yards per carry last year, but was hurt, and I don't think that's going to be sustainable either. So this is going to be the Roshan Johnson show from a running back perspective. We know Justin Fields is still going to be a prolific runner. Fields averaged over 7 yards per carry last season, and I don't expect that to end. They may run him less, but that doesn't mean he won't gain minimum 600, 700 yards. Justin Fields is going to be the most electric and exciting runner on this team, but as far as pure volume goes, by the end of the year, I think Roshan Johnson's going to have the most carries on this team out of the four. If you want to count Fields in there with Foreman and Herbert. And ESPN, to their credit, is taking note. It's taking note of what's on the wall, what we've been seeing for months now. I firmly believe it. I just, I think it's the natural course of events for the running back position in the NFL, and specifically for this team. Writing's on the wall. Foreman could be cut after the end of this year, could be cut midseason. Herbert is not going to sustain nearly six yards per carry and already got hurt and is already older. Johnson's brand new, ready to make an impact, three-dimensional running back, and Justin Fields is Justin Fields. The Bears are going to need a primary RB by week 8, week 9, week 10, it's going to be Roshan Johnson. So kudos to ESPN for pointing this out. And I hope that everybody could start to see it and catch on now because it is coming. I really hope they give him more opportunities week 1. I'd love to see Roshan Johnson get 20 carries. I just doubt it's going to happen only for the sense that although it's wrong, I understand it. They're still going to give Deontay Foreman his carries. They're going to give Khalil Herbert his carries. And Roshan's probably going to be the third guy because... They're indebted to Herbert, been on the team for a while. Uh, Deontay Foreman's been paid. They don't want to screw with them week one. But I think as the season progresses, and I'm sure there's already been a conversation between Poles and Eberflus and Johnson about his role moving forward, he is poised to take over. He's going to be worked in and worked in, and sooner rather than later, he's going to get just more and more carries. It might go from 5 to 8 to 10 to 15 to 20. I, I don't know what the plan is specifically. But don't be surprised if we see Roshan Johnson getting 20 carries by week 10. 
So it's just great to see other traditional media outlets, surprisingly enough, acknowledge the truth for once. What about they're going to be writing if uh, Roshan doesn't do well? Or uh, if he does do well, what they're going to be saying, too. We're going to keep track of this narrative for all of you. But just keep them in the back of your head as you watch the Bears week one against Green Bay. Look out for Roshan Johnson. If he doesn't do much or doesn't get enough opportunities, watch out for him as the year progresses. Because I guarantee you, by year's end, he will be the RB1. And Herbert and Foreman and whoever else the Bears decide to bring in in the future are going to have to go through Johnson to win that position. Breaking news, Justin Fields is not expected to run less, but they just want him to get hit less. Sports Talk Chicago here for John Zaglou. Appreciate all of you tuning in. Subscribe to the channel for more Chicago Bears and Chicago sports content. Follow us all over at Sports Talk Chicago and hit up our sponsor, Amish Country Farms in Orland Park. Link in the description of this video. Yeah, you heard me right. The Bears are not interested in running Justin Fields less. And I find this interesting because over the past couple of months, there's been more talk about, okay, Fields is going to have weapons. He's going to have an offensive line. There's no need to run him as much as they did last season. We saw last year how many times the Bears kind of put him in harm's way, how many times Fields got beat up and even injured near the end of this season. And people were wondering, myself included, how they would address things moving forward, knowing he has weaponry, he may have a little bit more protection, going to be more integrated in this offense with Lucchetti. But here's what ESPN insider Dan Graziano had to say. He said, quote, don't be surprised if quarterback Justin Fields keeps running. I asked a Bears official if the team wanted Fields to run less this season to avoid putting himself in harm's way. The response was, quote, well, we want him to get hit less which indicates it might not be as simple as running him less. In watching the 55 sacks the Fields took in 2022, it seemed like a lot of them were the result of indecisiveness in the pocket, which is understandable for a young QB. It should be something that gets better this year. There's some more. The acquisition of DJ Moore has been a major improvement for the receiver room, and that upgrade plus another offseason of work should help this passing game evolve. But Fields isn't just a good runner. He's a historically special runner at the QB position, Picking up 1,143 yards on the ground last year. Look for the Bears and Fields to keep finding creative ways to use his running ability as an asset that keeps drives alive and occasionally leads to a really big scoring play. Long quote, here's my reaction. I'm okay with the Bears finding ways to make Fields a history-making quarterback. I love the idea of running quarterbacks. And I say idea because in Madden, they're fun to use. And statistically speaking, they're fun to watch. And I hope that Justin Fields continues to run the football like he did last year, but with less of an opportunity to get hurt. That said, I really hope that they don't just hang him out out to dry like they did last year. Because it is worth mentioning, and it was in this quote, he was sacked 55 times. He was sacked the most out of any quarterback in the NFL. He had no protection. And there were a lot of times in which Luke Getze just did not call the right plays in which there were designed QB runs with no protection, no blocking, nothing, times in which Justin Fields got beat up, frankly. Remember, he missed the last couple of games last year. Now the Bears were tanking, but he was still beat up. He was still hurt. The Bears do have to be careful. Another goal is to not to run less, but to get hit less. That's nice, but I hope that there's a plan in place to actually follow through and execute. <laughs> I mean, everybody could say, hey, I just want him to run more and get hit less. Okay, great. In theory, that's fun. But what are they going to do to make it happen? 
The offensive line is banged up. We talked about that on last week's show. We don't even know what the Bears are going to do week one. We have no idea what their offensive line is going to look like other than the fact that Tevin Jenkins was placed on the IR and has to miss four games, minimum. So arguably their most talented lineman, next to maybe Darnell Wright, won't be there. They're going to have to be careful in the way in which they use Justin Fields and in their strategy in which they deploy them. And the other interesting point here, too, they talk about, oh, Fields got sacked a lot because of his indecisiveness in the pocket. That's somewhat true, but I don't buy that fully. You have to remember, Justin Fields played with the worst offensive line in front of him in the NFL last year. Now, I know some PFF statistics state the Bears were 15th in the NFL. I don't buy it because I see the eye test. We watched every game last year, and we did the broadcast here on YouTube. There is no way you could tell me their offensive line was mid-level last year. They sucked. They were near the bottom of the league. And their talent and the mishmash of talent that they had was horrendous. And we talked about that, too. The only superstar in that line, uh, talent-wise and physical-wise, was Tevin Jenkins. Tevin Jenkins was a young draft pick, high potential, and performed well. Everybody else on that line were sixth, seventh-round picks. They were undrafted. It was actually horrendous, no matter how you slice it. So PFF can buzz off on this one because there's no way that that was true. The fact is the Bears had a historically bad offensive line, similar, I would argue, to Joe Burrow and the Bengals when Burrow debuted in his rookie year, and even till this day. So I'm not going to sit here and blame Fields 100% for the amount of sacks he took last year. Now, were there times in which he got taken down due to indecisiveness, due to maybe a bad read trying to run the football, got taken down behind the line of scrimmage? 100%. Of course it happened. And we criticized Fields when he made those mistakes. But I'm not going to kill somebody for getting .9 seconds to throw the football because his offensive line is so bad that they can't even freaking protect him. Not going to do that. Not all of his sacks were because of only indecisiveness. Oh, it's all on him. Move on. No. I want to make that clear. And yes, with an offseason full of work and Entering his third year in the NFL, yes, his decisiveness will be better. And I hope that in general, Fields' pocket presence and pocket passing ability was worked on and it'll improve. But you can improve as a pocket passer and still run the football. Doesn't have to be one or the other, in my opinion. He just needs to know when to ditch the pocket when things get too much and when to stay in the pocket to throw the football. Last year, it seemed like if anything just went wrong slightly, something tiny, minute, he would run out of the pocket and run the football. And well, that's okay in terms of gaining yards and getting a couple of electric plays, long-term, it's not going to be sustainable. He's going to get beat up more. He's going to get hurt. At that point, by just kind of going out of the pocket, every play becomes a broken play. So there's no offensive strategy or approach moving forward. So yes, there are going to be issues. I would hope that this year there's less of that. But at the same time, if the Bears choose to run fields and they have the protection and the personnel and they're prepared for it, great. I hope he gains another 1,000 yards and makes more history. I want Justin Fields. I want my quarterback making history. That's fun. That's exciting. But I don't want it to happen at the expense of his health or at the expense of him even being out on the field or at the expense of him getting sacked 54 t- or 55 times. <laughs> that I don't want. I'd rather field stay in the pocket all day and get sacked 30 times than 
endure 55 bone-crushing hits and gain 1,100 yards. So I think the key is they need to find a balance. They need to find a balance. And even Graziano said in this quote, look for the Bears and Fields to keep finding creative ways to use his running ability as an asset that keeps drives alive and occasionally leads to a really big scoring play. That's fine with me. The Bears even did show to an extent with Mitch Trubisky. Remember the game in 2021? The Bears um, beat the Broncos, I believe, on a field goal from Eddie Pinheiro, and Mitch Trubisky on a fourth down and 12 with less than a minute to go, scrambled, ran 15 yards, kept the drive alive, set up the field goal they won. And Fields did that last year many a time in games too. That's fine with me. Extending drives, desperation, third and 15, nobody's open. I'm going to run the football. Awesome. That's great. Moving the offense downfield. How about first and 10 at the 20 fields? Runs one off for 20 yards. That's a great motivator and a great way to keep moving forward. It just needs to be controlled and there needs to be a plan. Because if not, he's going to get hurt. And more than that, even or equal to that, he's going to get sacked a lot again. He just needs to find the right time to run the football and the right time to pass or stay in the pocket. The Bears in general, Luke Getze needs to do the same and needs to call plays with that in mind. But remember, too, the Bears have more weapons this year. See, I don't blame Justin Fields for running more often last season considering his wide receivers couldn't catch the ball and his offensive line was horrendous. I don't blame him. Yeah, if I was in the pocket and I'm already getting sacked at a career high, at a, at an NFL-level high, and then on top of it, I look around and look for my receivers and I see EQ St. Brown and Dante Pettis and Bayless Jones Jr., yeah, I'm not going to want to throw the football. <laughs> I'd rather take the sack knowing, okay, I lost yards, than throw it up and have stone hands try and catch it and fumble it. Or get the ball yanked out of their hand in the fourth quarter to lose a game. We all remember what I'm talking about. So I don't blame Justin Fields for being in that situation and wanting to run more. Yes, when there's trouble and you see those guys out there ready to catch the football, yeah, I'm running the ball. I'm going to run out of the way and do my best to gain five, six yards or see if I can avoid pressure and at least stay at the line of scrimmage or throw it away. Going to be different this year. You could throw the ball to DJ Moore and have confidence that if it's near him, it's going to be caught. You can have confidence knowing, hey, Darnell Mooney's back and he's healthy and he got 1,000-plus yards under my watch, not last year, but the year before. Hey, Chase Claypool's trying to improve. He's going to be better. I would have confidence if I'm a QB and I see the pressure coming at me and I got those three guys out there primarily rather than EQ and Pettis and St. Brown. Or, I'm sorry, Vallis Jones. I'd rather, much rather see Mooney and Claypool and Moore out there. Gives me more confidence. Plus, potentially Roshan Johnson out of the backfield ready for a check down, who actually knows how to catch the football too. He is going to have many more weapons out there and many more sure-handed receivers open and available to catch the football if he gets in trouble. That's going to be key because his offensive line might still be beat up. We don't know how good it's going to be because we don't know who's going to be playing week one and even in the weeks to come. So when you really think about it, he has more assets offensively, and that's going to allow him to hopefully cut down on that sack number 
and cut down on potential injuries and designed runs even or scrambling runs because there's no need to do it because you have guys out there that you can trust and throw the ball to. Guys you can be confident in. That's a part that I think is a little bit overlooked. It's going to be a little bit different this year. I mean, even in this article, it goes on to say, and this is through sports mockery, they kind of commented on this, which I kind of agree with. Most of the hardest hits Justin Fields took last season was when he tried to stay in the pocket. Sometimes it was because the offensive line blocking had a breakdown. And other times it's because Fields held the ball too long. So there were a lot of people who were guilty for what happened last year. And we don't want to sit here and have to tread through a 3-14 and season again, but if you just... Briefly recall, yeah, there were a lot of issues with last season. A lot of guys screwed up. Justin Fields was learning. The Bears' offensive line was historically bad. There were a lot of rookies, one-year contract guys, guys who probably had no business being on an NFL roster. So, yeah, it was bad. We all remember and we all know. Time to move forward. And the positive thing about moving forward this year is there are weapons and there are opportunities to avoid these bone-crushing sacks. Fields could still run the football. They could still design runs around him, or he could scramble if he's in trouble. But it doesn't need to be the cornerstone of the entire offense. Justin Fields last year was the focal point of the offense, like he will be this year, but he was last year in a different way. It wasn't passing the ball, being the quarterback, being a leader, moving forward. It was, oh, crap, Justin, third and 14, run the ball. Oh, crap, Justin, you're in trouble. Just run and keep us alive. It won't be like that this year, and it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be all on his shoulders, trying to find a way to avoid pressure on his own with a bad offensive line, not being able to even throw the football on time, scrambling to keep drives alive. It should happen once in a while, not as often as it did last year. That's the key. And that's what I think What I think this article and this insight from Graziano is trying to indicate. Even And all this came from a Bears official. The, the, the source named here is a Bears official. We want him to get hit less. That was the response, and that's 100% true. The goal is to have Fields be the focal point, but not really be the focal point. They want him to be the center of this offense, but they don't want him having to put everything on his shoulders to the point where he is physically harming himself, putting himself in harm's way due to having to run the football every single time on a third and 10 because there's no wide receiver open, there's no offensive line help, and he needs to scramble to avoid pressure. That's, I think, the difference that the Bears are going to be going for this season. They want him to run. They want him to be who he is, but they don't want him to do it to a fault. They don't want him to be in emergency mode 24-7, having to constantly avoid pressure, scramble and run and keep drives alive, and then consistently get sacked or hit in general because all he's doing is running the football because there's nobody out there to catch it. And he has no blocking, and he has nothing. And the Bears offensively have nothing. That's how it was last year. They had nothing. Luke Getze, I mean, who was he going to rely on besides Fields? Nobody. Remember, Moody got hurt. Herbert got hurt. Claypool was horrible. It's a much different situation this year, and that's exciting and really comforting, especially if you're a Justin Fields fan and you're hoping that he can stay on the field for all 17 games. That's exciting. That's comforting. And I think this news even is encouraging as a Bears fan. And I hope that we kind of broke down what I think they're trying to indicate here. 
They want Fields to be the guy, no question. They just don't want him being the guy to the point where it's detrimental to his own health, his own ability, and his own team. Well, we begged, we pleaded, we even asked nicely, but Jerry Reinsdorf still decided to make Chris Getz the new White Sox GM. Sports Talk Chicago. Here for John's Glow. Appreciate all of you tuning in. Subscribe to the channel for more Chicago White Sox and Chicago sports news. Follow us all over at Sports Talk Chicago and hit up our sponsor, Amish Country Farms. Link is in the description below. The day before Chris Getz was hired, we did a program here on Sports Talk Chicago. It was live with Joy Christopoulos, and I kind of went off on the idea that Chris Getz was going to be hired. Sure enough, the next morning, as I just posted the video on YouTube, he was hired, officially. The White Sox wasted no time in letting that report come out and then subsequently hiring him and doing a press conference days later. I find it interesting that it's always the report that gets leaked and then days later they get hired. What a great PR team they have over there in Chicago. I am unbelievably disappointed, and I feel for every White Sox fan, seeing and hearing this news and then hearing the explanations behind it. I want to read to you what Jerry Reinsdorf said, because this one, it, it takes the cake. Quote, it has become clear to me that Getz will be one of the major candidates alongside these other candidates, and that, then I started thinking about the speed I owe the fans. I realized that if you bring in somebody from the outside, it's going to take him a year. He's going to have to evaluate everybody in their organization, so you'll lose a year. And the article says, Reinsdorf wants to save time. Oh, wow. Instead of looking outside the organization and attempting to catch an outsider up to speed, he wanted somebody who knew the organization and someone who could bring the White Sox back to success without sustaining a long-term rebuild. This article is from NBCSportsChicago.com, and by the way, who owns them partially? Jerry Reinsdorf, okay? So this article is the most flopped-up BS PR piece I've ever seen. Might as well be a press release. And I write press releases. I understand it. I get it when you're in the media, but this is kind of sad to see. This is NBC Sports Chicago. This is a respected cable channel that provides great content for people. This is a dumb article, and this is sad to read. I can't even get through reading it. They're justifying the quote that he said. Reinsdorf wants to save time. Instead of looking outside the organization and attempting to catch an outsider up to speed, he wanted somebody who knew the organization. This sounds like some presidential speech writer, some ghost writer. It sounds like crap. That's what it sounds like. It's a freaking joke. Thank you for acknowledging and showing to me why the White Sox did what they did. Thank you for the context that I apparently did not know nor understand. I appreciate it. I appreciate the additional context. During the press conference, Reinsdorf was not happy. Said that this year was very disappointing for him, very tough for him. You know, Jerry, if it's so tough, then do the right damn thing. If it's so difficult for you, do the, do the right thing. 
2023 season for Jerry has been a nightmare. He said, it's still a nightmare. It's embarrassing. It's disgusting. So you thought, instead of embarrassing and disgusting, we'll bring up the guy, we'll promote the guy internally who helped cause this mess. I said this on the other video. I'm going to say it again. Name me one thing Chris Getz has done to help the current success of this White Sox team. He was the director of minor league development for years and now was the assistant GM until he became GM. He was the director of minor league development before becoming a GM, and now he's the GM. Out of all these players who have been on this team, who has found success besides Luis Robert? And don't just point out to him. Because for one great player, there have been 15 busts on this team. 15 minimum. And all of them had to pass through the tutelage and the gatekeeping of Chris Getz, who himself was a bust. Sorry to say it, he was. White Sox fans know it deep down. He was supposed to be greater than what he was. Him and Gordon Beckham were supposed to be the middle infield of the future. It clearly didn't work. And this is not being mean. This is the truth. This was talked about back in 2010-2012. So we got a player as a bust running the director or running the minor league development team who produced more busts. And now he's going to be the GM to produce even more busts. It's really sad and it's really just horrendous. Reinsdorf said this, quote, the 2023 season was my 43rd year in baseball. It was absolutely the worst season I've ever been through. It was a nightmare. It's still a nightmare. It's embarrassing. It's disgusting. All the bad words you can think of is the way I feel about the 2023 season. It absolutely was just awful. But yet you're the one who did it. You're the one who's responsible to an extent. I mean, yes, the players are the main reason why they're doing bad. More than anything, it's the players and the people who were brought in to to construct the roster, like Hahn and Williams. But at the end of the day, Jerry Reinsdorf kept Hahn and Williams in power for years, decades. And Reinsdorf also kept Chris Getz at his post for a number of years, and now he's going to be the GM. This one's bad. I mean, this is a really bad look. The one thing I agree with Jerry about, and I love this, this was actually the quote of the day for me. Here's what Reinsdorf said in regards to Tony LaRusso. I love this quote. This was great, actually, and I fully agree with Jerry on this. He said, I'm glad you brought up Tony LaRusso, Reinsdorf said to a questioner. I am so sick and tired of reading that bringing Tony LaRusso back was a mistake. Tony LaRusso came back in 2021, and does anybody know what we did in 2021? Does anybody remember we won 93 games? We won the division by 13 games. Was that a mistake to bring Tony LaRusso back? This is all a quote. Last year, he was sick. The man had a heart problem. He had cancer. You didn't see the Tony LaRusso last year that we saw before that. Jerry laying it out. If only he had that passion for a GM, a correct GM, the White Sox wouldn't be in this mess. I wish he had that passion for the entire team and not just a man. That's the problem. He has passion for his people, but not the teams that he owns. If he had passion like that, this team would be in an entirely different direction. That is a hell of a burn. I love it. Yes, he's right. 
I am sick and tired of hearing it too. Clearly, especially at this point, you see where the White Sox are. Tony has nothing to do with where they are right now and had nothing to do with their downfall or their tough year in 2022. He is right. Everybody gave him crap. They won 93 games. Then last year, yeah, he got sick. The team was already on the downturn. But you're going to blame Tony and look where they are today? No, the team blows. The players suck. Not a Tony problem. I fully agree with Jerry for that statement. Great statement. One of, the, one of my favorites of the press conference, probably the only favorite of the conference because the rest of it was horrible. Nevertheless, this was a mistake. This was a mistake. The real shame, and I'm going to keep emphasizing this, is NBC Sports Chicago writing a quote-unquote news article that justifies why Reinsdorf did what he did. That's why you always got to be careful of the sources you read and look up, because if somebody was blindly reading NBC Sports Chicago because that's where they got their news from, they would actually believe this crap. Hey, Reinsdorf wants to save time. Instead of looking outside the organization and attempting to catch an outsider up to speed, he wanted someone who knew the organization and someone who can bring the White Sox back to success without sustaining a long-term rebuild. That is the most, that is the cringiest statement I've seen in a professional, legitimate, published article. Yikes. (laughs) I do not envy. Who wrote this article? You know what? I don't want to name their name. I'm not going to do it because I I feel bad for them because they were probably instructed to write something of that sort, you know, to to appease Reinsdorf, who owns the station. So I don't want to I don't want to kill that writer. I'm not even going to mention his name. You could find it if you look up the article. I don't want to do that because I understand everybody's got to put food on the table. I get it. But my goodness, that's just so sad. So sad to write. My gosh. Yeah, Chris Getz has no business even being a, in a front office. I don't even know how he got there. I mean, he was a player. He was a boss. I don't know how, how all of a sudden did he become this great talent guru and evaluator who just rose up the ranks? That's what I want to know. Somebody tell me how that happened. I mean, should we go through the names again? You know, Oscar Colas, Jeremy Mercedes. I mean, we could keep going and going here. Joan Moncada, who was a total bust. And still is to this day. I mean, all these guys, all these guys who were touted, Gavin Sheets, Andrew Vaughn, all these guys which, with big name recognition in White Sox circles have done nothing in baseball, have done absolutely nothing as far as accomplishments, with the exception of Luis Robert Jr. He's the only one. Everybody else has been bad. And that's all through Chris Getz. Lucas Giolito had one good year. Dylan Cease had one good year. Aloy Jimenez has been unable to stay on the field and just can't play the outfield, physically speaking. I mean, these are not success stories. These are not things I would want to hang my hand on if I were an executive at all. And yet, it's Chris Getz doing all this to these players, getting promoted for it, getting promoted for the state of this organization. Because I'll tell you what, Although it's Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams with this roster construction, it's Chris Getz in developing these young players. So the White Sox don't even have a core anymore. The core that they put in their resources to have all been busts. So Chris Getz inadvertently is also responsible for this mess, and although Kenny and Rick get fired, he gets promoted. 
Everybody should have been fired. Everybody. Jerry Reinsdorf should have looked at his entire team from the top down, not just, okay, you two got to go because I'm getting scared of public sentiment. No, everybody had to go. I would even go to the point of minor league managers have to go. Not kidding, because look at these guys. Look at this team. It's clear that from a development perspective, even the managers, even the people at the lowest of the lows in the minor league levels are not helping these guys develop. And look where they are today. Luis Roberts, the only success story, you can't even use him because he, he wasn't even from here. They signed him out of Cuba. He was already talented, already great. We all saw it, and now it's here and it's come. So it really doesn't even count. Everybody else has been a joke. As I sit here today, I'm so happy the Cubs got rid of Eloy Jimenez. At the time, it looked bad. Jose Quintana for Jimenez and Dylan Cease. But I'll tell you what, really, it has not been a dumb trade. Aloy could barely even play 100 games a year. And Dylan Cease had a great year last year, but he's back to normal this year. Michael Kolpak, great guy off the field, tough season this year. And tough career, frankly, up to this point. Carson Fulmer, remember him from uh, Vanderbilt? Where's he now? Not even in baseball. The list goes on and on and on and on. Bust after bust after bust. Big name, bust. It just continues in that cycle, and it's Chris Getz responsible for 90% of that. Because he's obviously responsible even for drafting players and drafting talent and scouting and bringing people in, developing them. All of that falls under Chris Getz. So White Sox fans, rest assured, if you think you're going to win again, it won't be because of your prospects or your drafting. Maybe somehow, someway, Getz gets a mandate from Jerry to spend more money. Maybe. Probably not going to happen. But if it does, the only way the White Sox have any opportunity to win is if they sign people in Major League Baseball. Because if you're going to trust Chris Getz to draft more and continue to rebuild their farm system, there's no way it's going to work. Because he couldn't do it before, and he's had countless opportunities to do it. So if you're expecting the next big thing to come up, some big prospect, if you're expecting the White Sox to have a new core in five years and do it that way, not going to happen. I wouldn't trust his judgment at all. Because clearly it hasn't worked. I don't blame any White Sox fan for feeling the way they feel. They are so disappointed. I saw it all over Twitter and social media. I know you're mad. I know you're not happy. I don't blame any of you. It is really sad. Really sad. And here's what it says about Gats, too. This is more from Jerry. I wanted baseball taught in the minor leagues a certain way where people understood what they were doing. They understood what's the right thing to do in a certain situation, and nobody ever did it right until Chris came along. And this I observed, you know, a couple of years ago. I was thrilled. I don't know what the hell they're teaching him down there. I don't know what Chris Getz was teaching them then. What was he teaching them how to flame out in two years of Major League Baseball, maybe? I mean, that's probably what he was doing, right? Hey, here's how you can get up the system, then you're going to suck in about two, three years. I mean, I don't know what he was teaching them. But clearly, it wasn't winning philosophies or winning baseball. And then here's more of the fluff from NBC Sports Chicago. This is the writer speaking, not Jerry Reinsdorf. 
Gantz knows the White Sox. He's run their farm system since 2017, filling and developing today's major league roster from the minor leagues since he shifted front offices from the KC Royals. Gantz has full autonomy, except when it comes to spending money, too. Wow. I mean, we talk about the lowest of blows. It just keeps getting worse. I don't see any hope or light at the end of the tunnel or anything. I see nothing here. I see nothing of value, nothing of note. I just see continued mediocrity. So be it, I guess. Hey, I'm not even a fan. I'm covering this as down the middle as I can. I just feel for White Sox fans who are diehard fans, who do go to the field every year and spend some money because they're buying and they're consuming an inferior product. And I'll use Brett Boone's words when he talked about the Yankees on this program. It's true about the White Sox. They are an inferior product. They are beyond an inferior product. And until they get somebody up there who knows how to run a baseball team and develop prospects, they're going to continue to be an inferior product. you got to be kidding me. you got to be kidding me with some of these quotes. you got to be kidding me with the media coverage surrounding it. It's pretty bad all around. I mean, it's really bad. I mean, this is sad. The, the, the quotes that I've read here from the author of this article, this is sad stuff, guys. I have no sympathy, and I have no um, interest in giving Chris Getz any slack or any rope because you know what? He used all that up when all these guys, guys became busts. He used up any slack he had when every prospect except Luis Robert Sucks. That's a fact. That's a fact, too. And nobody could dispute me on it. You show me two Chris Getz success stories, and I will listen. But you can only show me one, and that's Luis Robert. You can't show me even two. You can't even show me five. And this guy's been running minor league development and operations since 2017. Six years. And he can only show me one success story at best, and it's partial because he came from Cuba already. He was already talented. He was already going to be great, Luis Robert. This is sad. This is a dark point for the organization. And White Sox fans, be on alert because it may only get worse. This is really, really, really bad. And I hope all of you are able to endure what's to come because it's not going to be pretty. There's no way. Unless somehow, someway, Jerry spends $300 million a la Steve Cohen and the Mets and they buy up the best talent in Major League Baseball right now, it is not going to work. Not with this guy running things. Not with this baseball mind developing these players. It's not going to work. If it would work, He wouldn't even be in this position because Rick and Kenny wouldn't have been fired. Chris Getz rose from the point in which he was by mediocrity. All these players didn't work out. Rick and Kenny got the boot, and then Getz gets promoted. It's a top-down approach, and everybody should have been gone. And instead, Jerry kept Chris. And I'm not looking forward to what the White Sox are going to be doing in the next couple of years. This is tough. This is heartbreaking. This is depressing for White Sox fans. And I feel your pain. And my hope is that things get better, but don't count on it. Bad move by the White Sox.
Thanks for watching today's show here on Sports Talk Chicago. Appreciate all of you tuning in. Subscribe to the channel for more Chicago White Sox and Chicago sports content. Hello, what's on over at Sports Talk Chicago? Big thank you to John Meadows directing and producing. And hit up our sponsor, Amish Country Farms in Orland Park. Link is down below. So long, everyone.